0: is pop psych 101
1: welcome back to pop psych 101 i am licensed therapist ryan engelstad here not as always but very excited to have her not mike not matt but marie from anxiety show there's probably a more accurate description or more accurate title of your show i just know you as anxiety
0: uh no that totally works thank you thank you so much for having me on
1: well, thank you for coming on. We're very excited to have you. Um, for the listeners, Mike is taking a break this week, taking care of himself, which we are are strongly encouraging both him and anyone else who's needing a break to do so. Absolutely. And filling in, we have Marie. So, Marie, thank you so much for joining us on Pop Psych 101.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I do hope your usual co-host feels better soon, um, but it's it's really cool to be part of this, even, even if it's just for a little bit, even if it's just for one episode. And I'm like, I'm overexcited for what this episode is about and everything. So it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah.
1: So So again, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, we've been on your show previously, which is one of the reasons why we reached out to you because we had such a good conversation with you. I wanted uh, to give you a chance really to share a little bit with our audience what your show is all about, what you do, sort of how it came to be, and then we'll jump into today's topic.
0: Awesome. Uh, Yeah, so my show, so I record on Twitch, I have a live stream on Twitch, and the whole idea came from the fact that when you have a live discussion, you're going to get uh, a very very different feel for the audience. The reason I started doing it that way is because what I found was that uh, there was a lot of conversation happening from professionals with professionals. There's a lot of conversation happening with people who are suffering uh, with mental health issues and they themselves want to share their experience, but there's nobody really, I didn't find that there was somebody in the middle kind of bridging that gap and and helping those people have conversations and then translating that to the layman, right? To the regular Absolutely. guy. Yeah, and so I wanted to to bridge that gap. I wanted to start having conversations whether it's with uh professionals, whether it's with people who are sharing their own experiences, and it was super important for me to do that live because people have the opportunity to to, to communicate and ask live these kind of questions that they might not have the opportunity to talk to anybody about, um, in their regular life, you know, even like, even the silly questions, like, I don't understand why I can't just feel better. You know, Mm. why, why can't I just be happy? You know, so-and-so said that if I go outside, I'm going to feel better. Is that true? Like, uh, giving a place and a and a platform for people to be able to discuss that, to share my own experiences, to say, hey, it's cool to go to therapy. Uh, hey, it's cool if you need to take medication. It's cool if you don't do any of those things. I didn't see a space for it and I wanted to create it. And I'm actually really excited. I mean, I have guests like you on, but just in general, I'm, I'm really excited to have created that space in the community that I have created in the environment that they foster that enables me to have amazing guests like like you guys on.
1: Yeah, so it was incredible for us to be on, and and I've I've watched a couple of your streams on my own, seeing the the interaction that you have with the audience. I love that it's live. I love that you're able to do it as often as you do. I feel like that probably creates a really a consistent availability that you know your audience can kind of get really comfortable with you pretty quickly, which is really cool. So I, we're obviously thrilled that you're doing what you're doing. And obviously we've we've talked about coming on the show again. We would love to do that. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's
0: only it's only a matter of time before you guys are back on the show. And it's only a matter of a movie. So we gotta figure that out because that's right. Yeah, next time we're analyzing a movie for sure.
1: okay. and and you you also do fun stuff with the with the show. I understand you do like yoga, live streaming, all all sorts of other things. Tell the audience a little bit about that.
0: Oh yeah, so with the subscribers, there's, so you can subscribe to people on Twitch. So one of the benefits that they have is uh, yoga Saturday mornings. We also watch movies together once a month. So that's just the kind of stuff that like we end up doing together as a community and that continues the community building and uh, the feeling of a space that's safe that people can come to and and talk about their issues uh, without feeling judged more importantly, without feeling where they're comfortable to to be silly and not do yoga properly, to watch a movie and overanalyze it, even though it's just a Disney movie or whatever you might say. So, yeah. So we do that as well.
1: Well, I would never say it's just a Disney movie, especially not today, (laughs) because that's one of the reasons that we we wanted to have you on is because you are a Disney aficionado. Oh, my
0: goodness. Oh, my goodness. So
1: (laughs) so here you are. And today we're going to be talking about Inside Out. So, with that, let's get into it.
0: I I know you don't want me to, but I miss home. I miss Minnesota. You need me to be happy. Minnesota too. I miss the woods when we took hikes.
1: In the backyard where you
0: used to play. Spring Lake, where you learned to skate. Come here.
1: Today we are talking about the 2015 animated Pixar movie, Inside Out. Do you ever look at someone and wonder what's going on inside their head? Well, we get to see what's going on inside the head of 11-year-old Riley Anderson as she copes with growing up and later on moving from Minnesota to San Francisco when her father accepts a new job. Inside Riley's head, we see her emotions play out, including joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. After moving to San Francisco, things start to go downhill for Riley when joy and sadness accidentally get sucked out of headquarters and Riley is left to fend for herself with only fear, anger, and disgust to guide her. Joy and sadness travel through Riley's long-term memories and different islands of personality, learning a lot about each other along the way. They race against the clock to try to prevent Riley from making the impulsive decision to run away from home. As Joy, with Riley's imaginary friend Bing Bong, recognize how important sadness is to Riley getting the help she needs, they overcome incredible odds and Riley's memory dump to get back to headquarters and save Riley from making a terrible decision. And that is Inside Out.
0: That, that's awesome. That's that's exactly how I remember it. And I think you actually brought up some some key points there that I was like, oh, I kind of forgot that that happened, even though I've watched it an insane amount of times.
1: <laughs> and, and it's an, it's an insane movie. There are so many different levels and layers to this movie that we could talk about. It's sort of—I don't even really know where to start—but I think I kind of have to start with the my own sort of personal response or or connection to this movie. Oh yeah, so we have we have Riley Anderson right, who's 11 years old when she moves from Minnesota to San Francisco. Oddly enough, um, I moved from Maryland to New Jersey when I was 13, so not too far from uh, Riley Anderson. And, you know, it's just there are a lot of themes in what she experiences during the course of this move that were very familiar for me. And then as a result, really emotional. I did not have an imaginary friend that I matured out of, but there were a lot of other things, whether it be losing friends or um, the sort of difficulty uh, adapting to a new environment, all this sort of stuff that really hit home for me. So I know you have some some reasons that this hit home for uh, for you as well but i just had to kind of share up front that like this is a really emotional movie for a kids movie
0: it it is and it's it's doesn't it doesn't really hold back any of that either considering that it is i mean i think the target audience is kids but like thinking about it uh and the the depth of psychology explanations in it and everything uh, that you know, it's, it's questionable. I don't know. But uh, to your point, one of the first things that's also relatable to me is I also actually moved countries. Uh, when I was 14, I moved from uh, Russia here the U S yeah. So that whole, I, that accompanied was accompanied with, uh, obviously culture shock, but that whole idea of, of losing friends, trying to understand where you stand now with people you used to know and how you're going to fit in, into a new place. And then, uh, you know, there's just a lot of experiences that Riley goes through that as you're watching, and I'm sure anybody who's moved, anybody who's ever felt like a fish out of water can, can really get, um, then, then there's like, a, and, and I don't know if I should get into it now or later. Oh but... yeah, no,
1: let's 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 just dive right in because <laughs> from the opening moments of the movie, as, as a therapist, I'm like,
0: yes, they are nailing this.
1: They are killing this. Every single thing, the way that they portray the sort of internal um, monologue and and the way the different emotions interact, I was just blown away that they are able to kind of create this really cool metaphor for how our emotions sort of operate inside our own head. Um, yeah. So you sort of said you're not sure how on base it is, I guess. And for me, everything that I've learned, everything that I've, you know, worked with patients says to me that this is as close as I've seen to like a metaphorical way to show how our brains work and show literally how our internal like operations work. So, I, I you know, I, I don't know if that stuff connected as much with you, but oh I just like, was tickled constantly.
0: A hundred percent. So I actually, after I saw the movie, I had an appointment with my therapist just by like happenstance. Right. And I was like, you need to go see this right <laughs> now because I need to know, because I think it's accurate as somebody who's been dealing with mental health issues for the past 10 years, who's a, you know, a student of psychology just out of curiosity with a background in like scientific. I was like, I think it is. I really think it's really close and it's, it's getting these points, but I need you to tell me that that's legit. And I remember then she watched and she's like, Holy smokes. They nailed it. They totally nailed it with the mood board and how the moods interact and how our memories are stored and uh, you know what the journey is like from kind of your headquarters across all your memories and, and back around. Like it's just fantastic. And by the way, I want to tell you, you really missed out by not having that uh, invisible friend, just imaginary friend.
1: Yeah, you know yeah. it's funny. <laughs> my daughter actually has an imaginary enemy. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> oh, so oh no. it's uh, I don't know how or why this started. Maybe maybe it was from Inside Out. I couldn't tell you, but she has, and and we've tried to get her to describe uh, this character. Its name is Beta not that far from bing bong not so maybe far, yeah. maybe it's from maybe it's from inside out, i don't know but it's this imaginary character that kind of messes with her from time to time and it's like it's not like she's she's not sad she's not like bullied by it but it's just like oh that beta she's you know she stole my toys oh she tripped me and it's just like oh what are we gonna do so it's just it, it's stuff like that and even i, I want to go through the the five emotions real quick because i think that's really, um, hit home for me, especially even the sort of initial introduction of each of one of them. Right. So we start out with just joy and how nice to see a baby. That's like, that's their only emotion that they can experience. Oh my
0: gosh. Those were the days.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But, and, and, and I think it's very appropriate for sadness to be next. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you're a baby, either you're fine, you're perfectly content and you're smiling or you're giggling or, or just making funny little noises, or you have a need that's not being met, whether that's a dirty diaper, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're hot, you're cold, you're, you're lonely, whatever it is. And how do babies get those needs met? Well, they cry. right? right? So that's right. so that's sadness. I mean, it might it might sort of be anger. It might sort of be fear. But it's for me, it's absolutely sadness is the best way to represent how babies kind of have to get those needs met so i love that that was how we were introduced absolutely those first two core emotions
0: absolutely just a point i recently learned so not imaginary friend wise but i just recently learned to kind of separate that we with my again, I'm going to bring it back to my therapist because she's a wonderful it, yeah. human being. Uh, but we we kind of depersonalized my depression into this depression monster. And so I kind of like the fact that, you know, you're describing with your daughter that she has like this thing to to blame stuff on that she can't necessarily explain when stuff is going on. That, that that's kind of I'm doing that as an adult. And I don't know, like is she really ahead of her time or am I like really regressing? I don't know which one it is. It's great either way. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but I just thought that was funny. Um, yeah.
1: Most of the time I feel bad for her with a therapist as a father, but I'm, right? I'm oh hoping, I'm hoping she's ahead of the curve. I don't know. <laughs> time will tell, but yeah, I know. I love what you said in terms of how people are able to sort of depersonalize uh, the difficult emotions, especially things like depression, and anxiety, because when you can put it outside of yourself, and see it as almost like this adversary, it it becomes something that is something you can kind of more directly challenge. And especially when it comes to like those negative thoughts, you know, you can kind of identify that those thoughts are not coming from inside of you, really. It's not, that's not you that feels that way. That's your depression or that's your anxiety. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's why it's really awesome that they created these characters because kids... I mean, I, as a child, didn't really have an idea that those things like how to even explain them, what what the names of these emotions are. So I think it's fantastic to have this movie that personalizes things that are a lot more relate. I mean, it's the reason and you've talked about this on a previous episode, maybe a fan here, but it's the reason play therapy works is because you're able to like put it onto this other thing and then you're able to explain from there hey oh okay I get it this is how this works so watching these characters watching these uh these five emotions interact you're able to say oh yeah so I guess Joy was really you know in charge of my brain today and and sad. like that's so cool to give kids the opportunity to put a name to things that is so characterized that's so rich and and well like each each of those characters was well rounded in their own right and I think that that's fantastic because that's something like I could have used as a kid to better explain what the heck was going on in my brain.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even if you break down the the voices and shapes of each character, yes. I think that's so, so, so well done. You know, Joy, obviously um, voiced by Amy Poehler, is, you know, just constantly twirling around and sort of is, is star shaped with her dress mm-hmm. and really uh, embodies Joy as she should. Sadness kind of feels like a teardrop.
0: Yes, she's a blob. And that's how I also describe depression. Like it's very blobby, makes you feel like a blob.
1: (laughs) And half the time she's just sort of being dragged around um, by joy or, or, you know, that's just sort of her representation. And she is voiced by, um, I think it's Phyllis Smith.
0: I just remember it's the the office Office lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So again, a great voice for sadness. Um, So then after after Joy and Sadness, we meet fear who as we know keeps Riley safe which i think is such a a, a nice neutral way to mm-hmm. describe fear that mm-hmm. fear doesn't have to be this bad thing that that we can't deal with but it's this thing that actually has a job mm-hmm. and i think that's that's so nice especially for kids but even for adults to be able to to kind of recognize that fear is a useful emotion and it sort of tells us something important
0: Yeah. Oh, I I did. I did love that. And it's there's a there's also a line there from fear, right? You're You're only a hop skip away from fear to anxiety then as an adult. Absolutely. Right. So I thought that it was really fascinating that they showed kind of fear. Fear remains fear because he's balanced out by these other guys, right? He didn't get yeah. to run the show. He didn't get to take over and he didn't like he would propose certain things and he would kind of catastrophize things, but he never got away with it because the other emotions would be like, ah, oh, that's just fear. Yeah, and exactly. that's really cool.
1: And 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 he was sort of like a worker in, in the mind, more than a, a person that was controlling it. Now, that's yep. not to say When uh, people are dealing with a lot of anxiety, that fear is probably running the show, right? Is running headquarters. Right. And that can be a difficult place to be. But yeah, so fear voiced by Bill Hader. Fantastic. job. And he even, he kind of looks like a little, like a frayed nerve ending. Yes. That's the sort of way that I took that. Yeah, which is awesome. So then we meet Disgust, voiced by Mindy Kaling. Awesome, awesome job. We sort of initially meet her as the, the sort of reaction to Broccoli. And as they describe, um, disgust keeps Riley from being poisoned physically and socially. And I just love that description of disgust because it's not just, oh, I don't want to eat that food that I think is gross. It's, ooh I don't want to do that thing that other people might think is gross or not cool or whatever. I won't be accepted. I just think that's a really, really simple, beautiful way to to identify that emotion.
0: Right. She's another check. She's another yeah, check absolutely. in that in that set. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And then we come to anger, and as as is described in the movie, anger cares very deeply about things being fair. So there's that early scene when Riley is just like a toddler. Yeah, I think it's the same thing. They're trying to give her broccoli. I don't know what the dad threatens her with, but then it's like... Oh, you want to see? You want to see that old man? And he sort of blows the um, yeah, the fire up. yeah, And then she starts freaking out, right? And then and then here comes the choo-choo train. He's like, "Oh, we got a choo-choo train!" Yeah. <laughs> and so then the anger, you know, the, the the idea that it's fair or unfair is kind of then completely disappears. And again, I love that he's obviously voiced by Lewis Black, which couldn't be more.
0: Oh, my God. I remember when I heard about this movie and I saw the cast, I was just blown away. I was like, that's how I would have if you had asked me how to cast this, I think I would have picked the same exact people. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah. And he's like this little brick that lights on fire, essentially, you know, whenever things go bad. Yeah. So 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 those are the five emotions. And it's interesting when you when you read about this movie, I was doing my research They did sort of consider a bunch of other emotions as characters over time. Joy apparently was initially thought of as optimism, and they sort of identified Mm. that that's that's not actually an emotion. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of a way people think. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be the way that kids think, for sure. I would say kids, at least initially, are generally optimistic. But then apparently there was also going to be a surprise emotion. I don't know if, Mm. if, if... if you were up on all the the alternate emotions, I'm that we're not. Be. I appreciate yeah.
0: knowing that, but surprise is surprise really an emotion?
1: So it's a good question. I think for me, it's it's more like a an emotional reaction. Yeah. Like it's never it's never a constant emotion, which all the others feel like they could be constant. Right. Um, so again, it sounds like again from from my research, surprise was basically subsumed into fear. So all the things that they had written or identified for surprise, they just fleshed out fear as a, an emotional character.
0: I kind of get that. And the five that do remain, uh, again, I kind of want to go back to this point that I yeah. feel like they can all exist individually in some way, shape, or form together. They make for a healthy person, but all separate, like each of them could run the show and potentially kind of really sour things depending on who's running it. Right. But like surprise, surprise, couldn't run anything i don't know optimism no, right. yeah optimism couldn't really run the show so i'm I'm really happy with this like kind of basic color block right yes. that they ended yes. up picking the uh kind of the the roy g biv of emotions
1: yep yeah so so obviously we we love how these um emotions were portrayed and then you know riley goes through her move as you and i have both talked about for me, it was really neat, obviously. And we're going to talk about memories, I think, in the second half, because I think mm-hmm. that deserves its own sort of um, breakdown. Mm-hmm. This is, that's its, its own real piece of this of uh, this movie. But in terms of, you know, the the story here, we have Riley, who goes through her first day of school. You know, obviously, the move itself is almost like borderline traumatic. You know, they, they don't get all her stuff. So they're building all of these sort of intense events over the course of this one major life event right? yeah yeah um, yeah and then along the way you sort of see how the different emotions are sort of competing to to respond and competing to you know sort of ha- to be heard really you know when the the stuff doesn't show up it's like okay now we hear from anger and fear and disgust um, they see the dead mouse and it's just like it was really cool to see them sort of compete for control yes. over the what's that called like the board right yeah
0: yeah the i think it's just called the control board the right control board yeah, yeah. um it i found it to be really cool it's it is like real life where as a kid right you're going through this huge event you probably haven't gone through something like it and it's very much and adults do this too when we're like oh this is a really tough thing that i'm going through And now everything is going wrong. And you're just more likely because you're in that stress state to only be looking at everything that's going wrong, right? Like, she's looking at the dead mouse. She's looking at the broccoli. You know, she's not in the place where maybe she'd be like, oh, well, at least I'm with my family. or Mm -hmm. Like, there's no really room to look at the positives. Like, oh, I'm going to meet new kids and maybe uh, I'll do a different sport. Like, that's not where she is. And all the emotions are reacting exactly to that. Like, oh, my gosh, everything is wrong because we have no control over what the heck is going on right now.
1: Yeah. So I think with that said, I think I want to do a little bit of a breakdown of sort of what exactly is going on for Riley. Cause there's a lot of questions, you know, are we seeing depression? Are we seeing what we might just call like an adjustment disorder where she's having this very intense emotional uh, response to this major life change. And I think this is, this is something that people are sort of wondering. So for me as a therapist, when I'm looking at Riley, I definitely am seeing some signs, especially as the movie goes on of not necessarily full-blown depression, but like signs that depression could be oncoming. There are really some some very clear sort of metaphorical displays that Riley was obviously headed in a dangerous direction. Mm-hmm. So you know, obviously I did the summary um, up front, but, you know, so she moves, she has this terrible first day of school. And as these bad experiences are mounting... Anger, of course, comes up with a great idea of, well, let's go back to Minnesota where we can um sort of recover all of our positive experiences because right. that's where the positive experiences happened. Right. And I, I totally understood the the flawed logic behind that, you know, because they're they're in this new place and they don't see it for having any positive value. Right. And and when you talked about moving before, for me, you know, that adjustment process of Trying to make new friends, trying to fit in in a new school. For Riley, she tries out for the hockey team, but then sort of gives up halfway through the tryout. Like all of these negative events, are are really leaving leading her to sort of this. And it's not because she's not sad, right? Because the sadness is is lost in her her long term memory. But it's this sort of numbness that we start to see with Riley, yes. Yes. where you know she anger and disgust and fear are sort of trying. To help her I think act like joy or act and, and make things okay but they are really struggling and that's when for me we start to see hints of what we would think of as childhood depression so I don't know if that's if that felt like that way to you as you sort of watch but
0: uh so as somebody I was diagnosed with depression uh about 10 years ago now and I remember watching Riley and thinking to myself like Oh my gosh, this is uh this is 10-year-old me because I mm. remember looking back, like there were definitely signs that something wasn't right. Yep. Uh, but the the thing that we we note that the thing that kind of helps helps Riley and they do fall apart a little bit, but she has these solid foundations, right? She has these these kind of cornerstones that her mind is built on, like her family. Yep. And so they all end up falling apart, but those are those are important pieces that kind of I think they help keep her afloat for as long as she does. They, yeah, even though they are breaking down, but I do remember, and that, that sensation of numbness that you're describing, I mean, literally it's depression. When people say like depression is, is just the absence of joy. It's, it's not, it's, uh, well, at least for me, I I know, I do know, understand that people experience it differently, but it's, it's not just joylessness. It's, you're not sad you're not happy you just are and then everything else is running amok in your head like yeah. i don't know if i'm mad at this right now i don't know if i think that this is stupid i don't know if i'm anxious and you know uh, often like statistically speaking you know depression and anxiety often run hand in hand so like it all makes sense. And it's, again, it's really well personalized. I don't, I am very far from a person who can diagnose Riley, but I definitely agree with your point that that is a direction that she is, is heading in if something is not done. And I mean, not to spoil the end of the movie, but it does end okay. And I, from what I understand, like everything gets rebuilt and, and she's okay. <laughs> uh, so like this pivotal moment comes around and it, it Her parents step in in the right way and, you know, the school, it seems like everything, everything seems to come into a place where she escapes it like she she doesn't fall deeper into depression. But the building stones, the building stone, ironically, the building stones, a crumbling of everything in order to create depression is definitely there.
1: Yeah, and and so to break it down a little bit further, so some of the warning signs that mean we might, we might see with childhood depression, um, we definitely see with with Riley to a certain degree. So we see her be irritable after her first day of school, and and we can gather from you know Riley as a person that a lot of these reactions are sort of out of character for her. You know, so she's irritable, and her her dad sends her to her room. We're, we're going to talk about her parents, I think, at some point, but yeah. that them being uh, what they were. So she definitely has some social withdrawal, whether that's just part of the the move or even in these initial first day, first days of school where she sort of sits on the bench by herself. You know, she sort of has this sort of increased sensitivity when she uh, Skypes with her friend from Minnesota who yeah. has a new friend. It's like, well, that's it. Now I feel like I'm I'm losing my friends. So now I'm angry. So now I'm rejecting people. You know, even things like, you know, she's having nightmares. So she might be having changes in her sleep pattern. So there are a lot of what we, what we might think of as initial warning signs, even if it's not full-blown depression. Because as you said, there are some really healthy, positive signs at the end of the movie. She's back on the hockey team. She's seems like she's making friends at her new school. She even is talking to a boy. You know, all good signs, right?
0: Right. Right. Not for her dad, but she's right. happy. Well,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that also I can relate to. but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we we see these signs, and obviously she's making some very impulsive decisions when she decides to run away. You know, the thought of an 11-year-old stealing the mom's credit card and buying bus tickets and walking to a bus station and actually getting on a bus is obviously terrifying for me as a parent, but also would be another sign of of something concerning going on here, that this this very out-of-character, impulsive decision would be a sign that maybe something's going on. Again, not necessarily full-blown depression. She might not fit that diagnostic criteria, but it would be... Some really telltale signs that if she didn't, let's say, get some healthy responses and some healthy support, both from her family and assuming, assuming from the school, then we might see kind of what you and I have been talking about, where this is going to head in a worse and worse direction.
0: That's actually my question for you, if you don't mind. This is, Sure. I, I get really interested in pathology, for, so yeah, yeah. I have to ask you, what would kind of be the next signs? Like, I, I do know, like, depression is... You know, if you've been sad for X amount of time and it doesn't seem to be going away, like it's not just sadness, right? It's it's yep. if the, you have this feeling of helplessness for this long. So what are other like what else where what, what other things that Riley would do that you'd be like, all right, yeah, now she's definitely depressed. Like, what is she what is she missing?
1: So basically, because this is sort of so early on in the the moving process, like it's so early in right. the adjustment period. Right. The things that you would continue to see, let's say if, if depression symptoms continue to worsen, you would see her grades and ability to, to focus and concentrate would be negatively affected. A lot of times kids who are depressed complain of physical ailments, everything from stomach aches to headaches, kind of any reason to, in some cases, uh, avoid social interaction. So we already saw uh, Riley you know, decides not to go out for the hockey team. Those signs continue where it's very clear that she's not Uh, making positive connections, making friends, we would be concerned about that. Obviously, some of the other classic depression symptoms, things like fatigue, low energy, Mm -hmm. low motivation, you know, and I've worked with kids who even start to think about really serious things like death or things not mattering. What's the point? These sort of early signs of hopelessness. So that can be really scary for a parent or a teacher to see. But that's what childhood depression looks like, is that Um, Even with Riley, we start to see this this numbness escalate and escalate to the point where she's not feeling anything. You know, she's on that bus just like flat. You don't see any emotional response in her face until, you know, the metaphor is completed. Joy and sadness come back to headquarters and she's able to let herself feel sad about this adjustment that she's going through.
0: Yeah. Cool. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank no, you for no, yeah. indulging that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm happy to because it's it's and and going back to my own personal story, you know, I think that's why, you know, I I probably didn't get to full-blown depression is that, you know, my grades didn't really suffer. Eventually, I I made some friends. Um I did, you know, play tennis. It's funny like relating to some of Riley's islands of personality. Uh, mm-hmm. Her hers would have been hockey, mine would have been tennis. What were her others? Because I I, I want to get into that stuff too. Because I just think it's, that was so fascinating.
0: It's family, right? Yep. Sports, friendship, Hockey, Island, yeah, yeah. friendship, and um, goofball honesty, Island,
1: honesty, goofball, love that. Yeah, yeah. So and like like at least four of those I could definitely identify to. You know, um, family, goofball, sports, and. Probably honesty I was not a kid that lied or at least not a kid that lied well like you knew if I was trying <laughs> to get away with something so I just thought that was so well done in terms of trying to simply kind of show what and, and really how simply you know a kid's personality can be because really yeah. you're you're just started devel- starting to develop your personality they can be kind of focused onto these five core traits
0: right right yeah no I I absolutely I, I love it. It's it's it was interesting to me as a kid who came from uh, a bad you know I didn't have those foundations uh, and looking looking at Riley having them was really interesting again was a really interesting way to see that like oh okay well she has these built up and they're falling down well I didn't have family island. It was kind of rocky and, you know, goofball island was, was, was firm and steady. It was going and maybe that kept me, you know, going through some stuff. I didn't have like a sports island. So I was, I was looking at it and kind of understanding it's exactly what we're talking about that. um, Wow. She really has some really nice. Uh, support mechanisms set up for her—they crumble, but they're yeah. there, and there's something to build off from going forward. Uh, whereas somebody who doesn't have that example, myself, might have a harder time creating something like a family island because you never really had one before. So you got to yeah. build one from scratch when you're in your twenties. You know, not sure. to make it like super dark, <laughs> but that's uh, that's no, sitting in that right. theater. That's what I was yeah. thinking about. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I, I want to kind of put a bow on this by talking about sort of how Riley's emotions, uh, resolve, I guess, like get back to a point where they're sort of operating in the way that they quote unquote should be. So we know joy and sadness kind of get sucked up into long-term memory and they're trying to get back up to headquarters and the sort of lesson that joy is learning over time, which as a therapist, I just love, I couldn't love any more, Joy basically doesn't understand why sadness exists. Yeah. Like, why Why are you here? What right. is your purpose? What good are you? You don't seem to make anything better. And they just can't understand one another. I mean, at least sadness sees the quote-unquote importance of joy. She says, like, you're not up at headquarters. Like, Riley can't be happy without you. But Joy looks at sadness like, what What am I supposed to do with you? What? What is this?
0: Right. And sadness in herself is, be- because of the emotion that she is, she cannot Find her own value. Like it's up to Joy to figure out what the value of sadness is, because sadness is not going to say what her value is. She's going to kind of continue falling deeper and deeper and being like, "Well, it does seem like I'm useless." You're totally right. And Riley is yeah. you. You know, Riley can't go on without you. She wouldn't say that about herself, right?
1: Yeah, really well said. Because you know, while sadness can't sort of identify her own value or even like advocate for herself, which is also reminiscent of depression. She's very good at empathizing, right? Yes. We see that sort of that pivotal scene where Joyce starts to see something going on, where Bing Bong is sad because um his rocket has fallen down into is it the subconscious, the unconscious, whatever the big giant oh, thing. I don't is. remember.
0: I, is it up, so, uh we should know this. Ah, it's it's subcon I want to say it's the subconscious. Because then everything is lost and erased yeah, from memory. Yeah, yeah, So that makes yeah. sense. Nothing All comes right. back
1: from there, whatever. It whatever, is now, guys, is. <laughs> okay? It is now. <laughs> so Bing Bong is very sad. And Joy kind of goes to what a lot of people go to um, when they see sad people, which is just that I want to make you feel better right now as quick as I can in oh. whatever way I know how to. Yeah. Very dangerous, right? Oh, we and love very that. <laughs> unhelpful for people who are depressed or, right. or anxious. What does she do? She basically tells a joke, she does a little dance, anything to just put an art even artificial smile on Bing Bong's face right. and it like is not connecting at all.
0: Well, that is that's another fascinating piece because that's exactly it like joy re- does represent that like that person that's like I just need you to be happy right now because I can't really handle I don't understand why you're sad so I'm just gonna need you to come onto my emotional level you can't do that all right I don't really know how to register this just I'm find
1: there. the fun which right is like such yes. a perfect little line yep and, and it's not working he keeps crying candy um which i love also <laughs> which
0: is not the worst okay let's <laughs> no, let's, no. Uh,
1: right? but If you're gonna cry you might as well cry candy <laughs>
0: Candy, yeah, it might yeah. as well be useful,
1: but then, um, sadness kind of goes over and joy, even though she uh, discourages sadness from like trying to help because she doesn't understand what sadness could possibly do, she sits down with Bing Bong and just validates how he's feeling. Yes, you lost that thing that's important to you, that's sad, and he almost immediately stops crying and he's just like, Yes, like, thank you for seeing me, thank you for understanding how I'm feeling okay, I think I'm better now.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And and what an incredible sort of display of what people who are struggling really need. They need right. validation, they need understanding, and they don't need to be pushed into right. something that they're not feeling or that right. they're not trying to or even wanting to feel necessarily
0: right i don't need you to fix the problem i just want you to acknowledge that there's a problem yeah and what joy yeah yeah, and what joy is literally doing is being like there's no problem we just need Mm -hmm. to focus on the joy right and yeah yeah
1: yeah so i love that and then so so joy starts to understand and then you know they're they're going island to island to island trying to get back to headquarters finally joy and bing bong uh, fall into We'll just say the subconscious, since both of us can't it's remember what that, now, what that okay. thing is called. Yeah. Now it's the subconscious. <laughs> Excuse me. Joy finds one of the memories that she identified as as this sort of joyful, happy memory. Right? I think it was the hockey team like picking her up on their shoulders, and oh, this is so great. And then when she like rewinds it, which I just love, and we're going to talk about the memory. Oh my of gosh! This. Yeah, <laughs> she rewinds it, and then it turns from yellow, joyful to to sad because. Um, Riley was actually sitting on the tree stump by herself, sad because she had just, I think, missed the the game-winning shot in the hockey playoffs, and they lost the game, and she blamed herself, so she was sad. So she was sitting um, by herself, feeling sad, and then we see her parents come over to her, recognize that she's sad, and want to help. So they give her this big family hug. She starts to feel a little bit better. The the kids also recognize that she's struggling, so they come over. And now they all lift her up on their shoulders and now she's happy again. So the happiness comes from Riley being allowed and being able to feel and, and show her sadness. So this finally starts to click for joy. And, and again, as a therapist, I'm like, God, this is so good because right? we're we're recognizing the usefulness of sadness. When people are allowed to and validated in, in their pain and in their sadness, that's when they can get the support that they need to then feel happy or even just to be able to move forward, take that first positive step. Yeah. And it's just, it's incredible. I don't, I don't know what to say.
0: <laughs> it's the whole cheesy thing uh, that yeah. people say. That's really true. Like, well, you can't experience joy. If you don't know what sadness feels like you mm. need, you need the polar opposite to really yep. appreciate than when you are happy almost. And for somebody of uh, using myself as an example with depression, like the moments when I am joyful, when I am experiencing like happier emotions, those are moments that I hold on to. And uh, I use those then as a foundation to like kind of continue a more positive outlook. Like, Hey, I do remember that I do feel at some points, I don't feel sad. I don't feel hopeless. I feel this emotion and I remember it because of this memory. And yeah, the whole thing is just fantastic. It's exactly what you said.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so then so Joy starts to recognize this and that's when Joy finally kind of lets sadness in. She lets sadness uh, uh exist. You right. know, she determines that sadness has to come back to headquarters with her. That she can't just be selfish and go back herself with all the core memories that she needs sadness to be there as well. So they get sadness back and then Riley is finally able to sort of make the objectively healthy decision of not running away back to Minnesota on a bus right. and and be sad and go back home and acknowledge her sadness to her parents um so and in that moment as we saw with the memory that joy shared before because she tells her parents that she's sad her parents are able to validate that it's okay that she's sad that they're sad too and then we see that perfect little smile comes over Riley's face when she gets that big family hug.
0: Yeah. That's like
1: okay, she was heard, it was okay that she was sad and now we can really deal with it. Right. So yeah, so what a perfect little ending to to this story.
0: Well, and it is kind of important. Right. So she she also learned how to name the emotion because she didn't necessarily understand what was going on. Right. She's just angry. She's not happy. She's not sad. She doesn't you know, she's not an age where she can identify what emotion is doing what. And so in the end, for somebody to say it's okay, this is sadness and it's okay that you're experiencing it. Oh wow! You know now everything can click and now everybody can can move on. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. story.
1: So let's take a couple minutes to talk about Riley's parents, and then we're gonna take a quick break because I had a couple bones to pick with them. I don't know if really, how you, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're very sweet, you know. And it's uh, frankly, it's just nice to have two parents in a Disney movie. Yeah, they're um, like human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that are human. Yeah. But yeah, I mean. So so one of the things that really jumped out was when mom came into Riley's bed and, you know, acknowledged dad's all going through his new job thing, but just sort of asks Riley if, if it would be so great if you could just keep being our happy mm-hmm. little girl. And I cringed so hard when I saw that. yeah, Because to ask your 11-year-old child to be happy... Even though, I mean, can't we just assume that any move is going to be a difficult thing for a child to experience? So to to assume and even force them or, or ask them to be happy through that kind of experience is just, I mean, dangerous might be too strong, but at the very least, probably invalidating to the likely stress that they're experiencing so so you maybe liked her parents a little bit more so what would you take away from them
0: you know so i i might be ideal idealizing them and i definitely (laughs) i remember also cringing at that scene and being like "Ooh, points off for mom yeah uh and the same thing with dad because dad like starts uh, playing with her at one point, but then he's like, oh, okay, I got to take this business call. But what I appreciate, I mean, first of all, there are worse parents. You guys talked about Frozen. First of all, there are worse parents in Disney movies. Way worse. (laughs) Second of all, um, how human are these guys? Absolutely. Because, you know, I, as a kid, you're not looking at the move and being like, yeah, my parents are also having a hard time. Gee, I should really give them a break. But you get to see that other side of it of like, That whole stress that I as an adult now that has moved knows like, oh, my God, where's the van? Oh, when do I start work? Where's my stuff? I don't even know where my bag is. I can't feed my kid right now. All right. The last thing I need is for you to be pouting. Can you just be happy? And -hmm. like so as much as. I'm not happy with it like that's that's not cool I would not condone the behavior but I definitely would say that like they're just they're very human. And I do think that their positives outweigh their negatives like the way they acknowledge her emotions the way that ultimately they are there for her and they are looking uh, you know, to, to make sure that things are good for her and her mom, like her mom does take does kind of try to take care of her when she's at hockey practice and she kind of quits midway through, right, the tryout. Like yep. there is, you know, she says, let's go out for pizza. And she kind of tries to create a, a, like a little bit of a distraction. And so I do think just are they the best? No. But are they doing, are they doing a good job? I I, I think they're just, they're, their error is in, in their being human. So it's okay.
1: Well, I think you, you made a great point, and and they are human, and to that extent, they do um, really create these parents as really good characters who are flawed, and we can be empathetic of the fact that they're not perfect, they're probably going through their own stressors, right? so maybe they don't react as well as they could to their 11-year-old sort of emotional situation, but... You know, if anything, if we're we're, we're talking about, if we're giving advice, for example, to parents as they go through moves or other big changes with their children, you know, I've talked on the show before about there's no too late. I'm sorry, there's no too early to getting therapy or to getting to evaluation, but there is a too late sometimes, unfortunately. So I shouldn't even say, I mean, you know, there's never, that's never a too late either. There's a later than preferred. There's less than ideal. Yes. Yeah. Less than ideal. Yeah. Yeah. so, you know, for parents, if you have any concern or any signs like the ones we've been talking about, like, please let let it be a OK thing for you to, you know, get a relationship with your grammar schools or new schools guidance counselor. Hey, could you check in on Riley? It's her first day. We've moved. You know, we just want to know how she's doing. Like all these things I think would be important things. That, and, and, you know, it's a short movie. We can't cover everything. Right. But, right, right. But that's what I would hope and what I would suggest to parents going through this type of transition. Awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with overanalyzing the memories aspect of Inside Out. You are listening to Pop Psych 101, a show discussing mental health and pop culture through two perspectives, a therapist and an advocate. We explore the accuracies of how mental illness is portrayed in movies, books, and television for better or worse. Get the feeling that there's a hidden, deeper meaning in your favorite movies, books, and TV shows? Look no further. Therapist Ryan Ingolstad goes so deep that what he brings back may not exist at all. This is Overanalyzing with Ryan. All right, so this is over analyzing with Ryan and Marie. So thank you, Marie, for joining me on this segment, because this is something we like to do sometimes, where we take a part of a movie and we break it down to the smallest or most personal um, way that we can. So we've talked a lot about in the first half in Inside Out the sort of emotional aspect of this movie, you know, how they interact with each other, But we didn't really talk at all about the memories part, which I thought was also such an integral part to, you know, both how Riley's personality was formed and also just like how I think people develop as individuals as well, because their memories have a big impact on that. So maybe you could lead us off with your own analysis of the sort of memories uh, portrayal of Inside Out.
0: Oh boy, can I, do I have so much to say about this? Uh, so I, first of all, I was blown away by the description. So I have, uh, I have PTSD and that means that memories to me are sometimes this very harmful thing that just like appears out of nowhere. And then I'm literally living inside of it. Uh, and then, you know, I come out and I'm like, Whoa, okay, where am I? What, this is not the past. This is, I'm safe. I'm fine. But there is that moment of, of literally reliving a memory, literally being inside of it. Uh, and so in that I've been fascinated by memories. And so I remember just sitting there and beaming as they explain how memories are stored. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So she gets, she gets all these memories throughout the day and they're different colors depending on the emotion. And you know, there's there's different colors are sprinkled in. And then at the end of the day, somebody's in charge of throwing them into long-term memory while she's sleeping. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. Cause that's what happens. That's our theory. Their current prevailing theory on how memories are formed. So that's, you know, a reason why sleep is super important and is important to people who have PTSD. Um, so so that's that. And then they go into this like filing library and we would be I think both of us would be remiss if we didn't at least once say a uh, double mint gum. It'll make you smile. It's <laughs> triple
1: then. Is it triple then?
0: It's, it's triple. I said, I messed it That's up. That's all right. That's So all I right. didn't remember it as well <laughs> as they wanted you to. <laughs>
1: well, I, it must pop up more in my memory a little bit more frequently than yours.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, but there's so many, who has not, had a commercial that just that just like, there's somebody messing with you right in your brain going like, let's just throw this one on and see how she likes that. And Mm -hmm. it's once again, it's the commercial and everybody in headquarters goes, Oh, (laughs) and and that's, that's exactly what it feels like. And uh, I remember watching this movie with my community And everybody just in the chat, because we watch it through like this program where all of us can talk at the same time. And everybody in the chat was like, oh no. And all of us, (laughs) they have it on YouTube just that bit. So like you could watch the whole commercial.
1: Just the triple dent gum commercial. Yes, (laughs) yes.
0: And then, you know, it really gets stuck in your head. But uh, so the triple dent gum commercial is, is, is one thing. And how, but the reason I bring it up is, That is literally the best way that I've been able to explain how PTSD memories come to. Like it's it's literally a malfunction where something out of long term memory gets thrown in as a current as a current event. So like. You're in the middle of going through your day and experiencing those memories. And then all of a sudden, something pops in from long term that you weren't expecting. And you're in that moment of like, oh, I don't really know if this is happening presently. Uh, You know, I'm I'm really experiencing all the emotions and everything that I experienced while that was happening. As if it was
1: happening now. Yes, as
0: if it was happening now. And that's something that when you have PTSD, I think a lot of people don't know, or maybe it doesn't occur to everybody, but that happens with positive and negative memories. When you have PTSD, it just kind of like this machine machine is malfunctioning and it's just thrown out whatever memory it feels like. And your ability to discern whether or not it's happening in present time is kind of the main issue. Um, and as somebody who's gotten to like a really good place with my PTSD, where now I can like I see a memory and I'm able to, you know, I don't go into like full flashback mode anymore, but I remember at one point, like asking my husband, how do you remember things? Mm. What is a memory like for you? And he goes, well, I just think about it. And (laughs) then I don't, right? Like then I don't. Intentional,
1: intentional recall. Right. Yes,
0: exactly. And I remember my mind being blown. And I remember watching, then watching Inside Out and thinking thinking about what that meant to my memories like oh if this is Mm. how they're stored and this is how they pop out then it means if they're stored properly and like organized and alphabetized then eventually you know eventually they kind of they, they stay in their place and the machine doesn't just like pop them in there whenever it feels like it um and so that was that was a very pivotal moment for me as some like understanding memories through this movie was was just super important to me
1: Yeah, and we talked before about depersonalizing. I mean, so it's almost like, uh, you know, we saw those little workers in the brain. So it's almost like that there's like an evil little bad worker somewhere in there that that, like recognizes something that's happening in the quote-unquote real world. That's like, oh, this is similar enough. I'm going to kick up this thing that scares her or makes her angry or makes her disgusted or sad or whatever. And I'm going to kick that up there without warning. Yep. And I just, and it felt like, like, gosh, I, I wish that they could make an inside out for like every know, diagnosis, but like right. every. No, no. But yeah, 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 yeah. Just because of that, because I think it is so helpful for people to be able to break down um, what's happening inside my brain in a way that I can understand so that when it happens, whether it's a, a flashback or even a bad dream, I can say, oh, this is what's happening. I can understand that. And now I can sort of know what I need to, uh, let's say, cope, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I know it's slightly moving away from it, but still no, okay. in, the, in the same vein, I love that the the control board gets more complex as yeah. Riley grows up. Right. Yeah. We have a we have a moment where we see uh, mom's control board and dad's control board and they're a little bit more evolved, and different emotions are running the show there. And that's like no. a whole separate thing. All of that is just so relatable, is so helpful in comprehending like i was sitting there as an adult and i was going through my emotions kind of making these mental check marks of like oh that's what that is oh that's what that is oh that's really cool like i i walked out of that movie and i was like they need to show this in in you know in school like what are they doing showing all these like boring psychology uh no offense uh, <laughs> that's all <right>. It is. <laughs> you know documentaries and whatever like explaining yeah. oh this is how this is the amygdala works like that's yeah. not important tell me how my memories are stored in yeah. a way that i can comprehend it no no I, i'm with yeah. you and yeah. I've,
1: I've shown inside out in my therapy groups that i've run um oh, in the yeah. past so trust me I'm, I'm with you 100 on that if, if I could explain whether it be depression or just like emotional uh volatility to people this is what I would show them so I'm with you on that
0: that's uh, yeah yeah so that's that's my whole thing
1: well thank you and and so that's that's over analyzing so I think with that um Maria I'd like to just wrap up with maybe our reviews our overall reviews of this movie so if, if you know the podcast I review on a scale of 1 to 5 some things on sort of how accurate it is of depicting various issues. And then um, Mike will just do his overall review of how much he loved the movie, 1 to 5. So I'll go first. Uh, I, I rated this movie uh, out of 5 core memories, or 5 bing bongs. Um, I I rated it a 5, because this movie is flipping perfect, and that is my bias showing, because obviously I can relate to a lot of the things that are happening, but... I don't care. It's perfect. And I I don't want it to change, even if there is a teeny tiny little plot hole when she could have sent the core memories up just like they sent the triple dent dumb memories up. But I'm I'm not going to nitpick. So (laughs) I give it a five out of five um, for Inside Out in terms of how they portray um, childhood uh, adjustment issues or depression. So what is your review out of five uh, for Inside Out?
0: Well, you gave people a warning that I'm a huge Disney nerd and we told, I clearly sound pretty enthusiastic about it. So I'd be, I'd be lying if I also didn't give it a five out of five. I do, uh, again, like I walked out of that movie and have rewatched it so many times, feeling more aware of myself, um, feeling, understanding things about myself that I did not going into the movie and then just the entertainment value, like you. don't have to overanalyze and go into it and be like this is the psychology of it to walk out of that movie and be like That was that was really fun. That was just really fun to watch. And and, you know, a lot of us can a lot of us had a bing bong and a lot of us were sad when bing bong is no longer with us. Yeah, I I intentionally
1: (laughs) didn't talk about it because it's one of the saddest things I've ever seen.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's when we were watching it with the community. That was everybody's like, why is this happening? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be a Pixar movie, you know, that's true.
1: That's true. Some some very sad thing has to happen. And boy, did it.
0: Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so I'm going to give it five out of five Mickey's. I think they did a fantastic job with this one. They're definitely um, I'm I'm going to go there because I just want to make sure that people understand. So like they know uh, your your usual co-host. They know what his taste is like. So I'm going to say just to compare. Up has like a three out of five Mickeys for me.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay, just because like
0: okay. they they uh, sadness is just too much of a crutch there, and I'm not having it. And I think that all the emotions are represented very well in this movie. And I absolutely five out of five.
1: All right. Well, there you go. There are our reviews of Inside Out. So, uh, Marie, thank you so much again for joining us here on Pop Psych on short notice, nonetheless. So one more time, please plug your show so people can know where to find you.
0: All- right. Thank you so much for having me. It was obviously fantastic. And for having me uh, come on to talk about this movie in particular, it obviously it's very near and dear to me. So thank you for the honor. I do. I do hope our lovely Mike feels better soon. And uh, okay. All right. Plugging myself, I can do this. So everything about me that you need to know, you can find by going to anxiety.com. All of my blogs are there. All of my publications uh, outside of my Media blogger there, my podcast episodes, and you can also watch my stream from there. So my live stream is Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, seven to nine PM Eastern. We have wonderful discussions with a beautiful community of welcoming people. So if you ever feel like you just need to go and talk and feel welcome somewhere, that's the place. That's where you can find us, and I think well you'll feel like home.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much again for joining us, and we look forward to coming back on your show and and with that um we'd like to thank kevin mcleod for doing the music on our show um you can find him at incompetech.com and with that thank you so much and we will see you next week Bye. okay so i could have talked about inside out for another whole hour but instead i'll stop and focus on a few important takeaways from a mental health perspective First of all, depression in children is not only possible, but it can be incredibly damaging if left untreated. It is so important to validate children's feelings and experiences when they go through big life changes. Riley's parents are human, but they also make the mistake of telling Riley how they want her to feel, instead of letting her have her natural emotional reaction to the move. Secondly, one of the most damaging things we can do to our mental health is to deny our completely normal emotions. Joy tries to put sadness in our own little circle, but this only leads to sadness reacting more strongly. Our emotions need to be expressed, and if they are, they will resolve naturally, instead of leading us to worse reactions or decisions. As Joy learns, all emotions have their purpose, and if we can practice self-awareness so we can understand what our emotions are trying to tell us, we can often prevent negative self-thoughts and destructive behaviors from setting in. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you as always to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and YouTube at poppsych101. We are specifically on YouTube for our fans who may be hard of hearing. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. Poppsych 101 is not only a podcast but also a radio show. You can find us on the real-life radio station on Dash Radio. If Dash Radio is not installed on your vehicle, you can download their app on Android or iOS. For the podcast, we are on all major distribution channels, so please rate, review, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.